Please welcome Drew Levine. And just for the record, for those of you that got that great uh, Norton antivirus uh, screenshot, typically the only time I boot into Windows is when I need to take a screenshot for documentation. And typically every time I boot into Windows, it gets me swearing. So I'll try not to swear during the, uh, during the talk. We'll see how it goes. So I'm here to talk today about FreeNAS. Um, and I'll be introducing the new design version, which is 8. Um, if I get someone to forward the slides. Just have a bit of an outline what I'll be talking about today. So I'm going to introduce FreeNAS 8, what it is, what you can do with it, what the features are. Um, a large component in the feature set of FreeNAS 8 is the ZFS file system. And a lot of people are new to ZFS, so I'll just sort of do a brief overview of what you get with ZFS. Talk about what's new in 8.2. Um, anybody who's used FreeNAS before, because it has been around for a couple of years, is probably more familiar with 7. So we'll talk about some of the changes between 7 and 8. Then we'll get into a configuration workflow. So if I have this nice uh, graphical interface, how do I actually set up my storage system? What can I do with it? We'll then talk about getting involved with the community, because it is an open source project, and additional resources. We have lots of resources. So for those of you that have never heard of FreeNAS before, you don't know what it is, it is an open source NAS, so network attached storage. It is uh, based on an embedded version of FreeBSD called NanoBSD. It's released under a two-clause BSD license. In addition to FreeNAS, um, you can also purchase hardware that FreeNAS runs on, as well as support packages. And that whole bundle is called TrueNAS. So TrueNAS is still the open source FreeNAS, but you get hardware and support with it uh, for those running it in an enterprise environment. So when we look at FreeNAS, FreeNAS started about seven or eight years ago. Um, there was a guy in France. Um, he took an embedded version of FreeBSD, it was actually MonoWall, and he turned it into a network storage appliance and released it. And a large community actually grew around it because there was all kinds of cool stuff that you could do. And you could basically take any piece of hardware and turn it into a storage appliance. Um, about two years ago, um, the main developer decided he didn't have time to work on the project anymore. And there was sort of a big discussion, what do we do going forward? Um, one of the other developers says, well, what I'll do is I'll fork it We'll release it under GPL, and it'll be based on Debian instead of FreeBSD. And there were people that didn't like that. They liked that it was a BSD license and wanted to see it remain on FreeBSD. So there was sort of discussion, where do we go from here? And one of the reasons that discussion took place is when the original FreeNAS was developed, it was basically a developer scratching an itch, and he just took a whole bunch of software and bundled it together. So it wasn't really designed from the ground up to be uh, a SAN. And over time, it became very hard to be able to manage all these pieces of software. So the guy who um, decided to um, fork it as a GPL started the Open Media Vault project, so openmv.org. And he designed it one way. Another group of people said, well, let's keep it under a BSD license. 
let's take an embedded version of FreeBSD and then we'll make a design as well. And we'll design it from the ground up to be a storage appliance. Obviously, it takes a lot of time to design something from scratch. So it took about two years to get an initial release and that happened last May. And what they did to differentiate is um, FreeNAS was at 0.7 um, when they did the split. So they created a new branch called 8, and that will be the new design branch. The initial release was last May, and the most current release is 8.04, so still in the 8.0 branch, and that happened on leap day of this year. 8.04 was actually just a bug fix release, and it's going to be the last one in the 8.0 line. When we look at what they did with the design, 8.0, so dot zero was designed to just be the core NAS itself, and the next um, release will be 8.2, and this one will allow you to install whatever software you want on your storage appliance. So that's going to be the differentiation between those two branches. Uh, 8.2 is currently in beta, and we are looking for beta testers, and we're hoping to have a release in about three to four weeks. Anybody who's used 7 before um, probably hates FreeNAS 8 because it's basically totally redesigned from the ground up. And some of the things you're going to notice right away, number one is the hardware requirements. So almost the um, slogan for FreeNAS 7 was take any piece of hardware, dig it out of your basement, get it out of your friend's garage, and you can turn that into a storage appliance. So very lightweight on the hardware. With FreeNAS 8, a lot of the features are tied into ZFS. And if you're familiar with ZFS, probably an alias for it is RAM. ZFS is very RAM hungry, and you need a lot of RAM to get um, the functionality that you want and to get good performance. So with 8, the hardware requirements have gone up. You can still install on low-end hardware, but you're going to want to stick with UFS because um, it won't crawl on it, and some of the features won't be available because some are built into ZFS. The other thing that a lot of people notice is because it's designed to be a SAN, you want to keep your operating system separate from your storage. So in FreeNAS 7, you could take a partition of a disk and install the OS on it. FreeNAS 8 will not allow you to do that. If you do, you just basically sacrifice that whole disk. So it's designed to go on USB thumb drive, so the OS is separate. Or um, if you have um, Flash, you can also install it on Flash. It will let you put it on a hard drive, but if you do, uh, you can't put anything else on that hard drive. So basically, if it's bigger than two gigs, you just wasted that hard drive. So it's designed uh, to go on USB. Anybody who's used to using the administrative interface in 7 uh, will really have to spend time learning how to do 8 because it's totally different. So everything that you're used to doing is now done someplace else. So with, like any change in a user interface, it always takes time to get used to. Some people say they like 8 better once they get used to it, and some people still like 7 better. 
Uh, that also means this was a bigger problem a year ago when FreeNAS 8 was new. All the information out there on the web was for FreeNAS 7. So if you were following a how-to, it didn't work on 8. Fortunately, we now have a year's worth of documentation for 8, so documentation is no longer an issue on how to do things. And one of the things that the FreeNAS uh, 7 community found out is what exactly is core NAS and what is an add-on. Because up to this point, until 8.2 is out, anything that was an add-on was just not available. So a lot of features that people were used to were in FreeNAS 8 as of yet. So let's take a look at some of these uh, features. So we're based on FreeBSD, so that means you're going to get the Unix file system, UFS. Uh, ZFS has also been built into FreeBSD and it's been production ready uh, probably for the last four years um, because the BSD license is not incompatible with the, the Sun Cuddle license. So ZFS is built in. When you are feeding disk to FreeNAS, you have a couple of choices. So if you already have hardware RAID with disks, it will recognize the RAID as long as FreeBSD recognizes your controller. Uh, if you have existing UFS RAID 0, 1, or 5, it will import that in. And if you have an existing ZFS pool or RAID C1 or RAID C2, it will also recognize those. If you have no RAID at all, you just have a single disk, it will recognize anything formatted with UFS, DOS, NTFS, or EXT 2 or 3. And if you have brand new disks, you can uh, put them in any uh, form of RAID, either hardware, UFS, or ZFS. Once you have um, your disks, uh, FreeNAS is recognizing them, you get to choose how do I want to actually share this data over the network. And be, be an open source, we support the open source protocols, so there's Netatalk, NFS, and SIFS for Windows. You can also decide to do FTP, secure FTP access, SSH and iSCSI. It's not documented yet because I haven't gotten there yet, but um, 8.2 also supports WebDAV because um, of the built-in web server. When you're looking at um, how do you get users onto FreeNAS, how to control your permissions, you can either manually create them but if you have an existing open LDAP or Active Directory already set up, it will import those users in for you. One of the things that we get with ZFS is uh, we can get snapshots and you can replicate those in the system uh, to another system with ZFS uh, using our sync and SSH. And you can actually automate that, so it just happens uh, in the background. We'll be talking a little bit about snapshots and scrubs. These you can schedule uh, for ZFS. Uh, into the administration GUI, there's front ends to make cron jobs, so you don't have to remember where to put all your asterisks to get your time set up. Um, FreeBSD uses something known as sysctls, where you can tune the system, so you tune a live kernel. So there is a uh, GUI interface for that. And in FreeBSD, if you want to load a driver that's not automatically loaded, you use loader.conf, and there's front-end GUI for that as well. So you can load additional drivers and modules. Uh, the GUI gives you graphs, uh, so you can look at your CPU usage, your bandwidth, network bandwidth. 
Um, if your DIS um, recognize SMART, you can schedule the SMART tests and get the results mailed to you. Uh, there is an automated alert system that will let you know, for example, if CFS finds a problem in your pool, it'll let you know that. If one of your drives is starting to go, it'll let you know that. And also UPS support as well. Some of the other features we have, you can configure link aggregation and failover. Uh, there is VLAN support. It only understands tagging, um, but if you have that on your switch. Um, there's also DDNS, SNMP, and TFTP support. So if you're saving, say, your um, Cisco images, you can automatically have them um, sent and received um, from the FreeNAS server. There's a bunch of services that are available in FreeNAS, none of which are started by default. So there is a control panel where you can go and start services and see which services are started on that system. And one of the things that we've worked really hard for as we are um, designing this is to make sure it's very well documented. So there is a user guide. There's been a lot of releases since May, and every release has its own user guide. Because it's a new design, things are changing from version to version. So you want to make sure that your screenshots and instructions match the version that you're using. So we publish docs when the version is released, and we have them available in various formats. Uh, anybody who does time machine backups, it's very easy to set up in FreeNAS. Uh, shadow copies just work, they automatically configure themselves. One of the reasons why um, the OS itself lives on a USB stick is it makes it very easy to backup and restore. So you can back up both the OS and the config itself. And usually I tell people, back up your config. You definitely want that. But the OS itself is throwaway. Just grab another stick, burn it, and it will recognize your disk. You import your config. So the OS itself doesn't really matter. Um, FreeNAS 8, uh, you always access through a web browser. One of the coolest things, is I'm a command line person myself, is there's now a web shell that works through the web browser where you can go in under the hood and run whatever commands you want. That's my favorite thing in A2. Okay, so talk a little bit about ZFS. So ZFS was originally designed by Sun, which unfortunately is now owned by Oracle. Um, it is a 128-bit file system, so very large storage capacity. And it was actually designed to be self-healing. And probably the best way to describe ZFS is it's not really a file system. It's not really a logical volume manager. It's not really, it's, it's sort of a combination of both. So with ZFS, it doesn't care what your underlying hardware is. It will just look at any storage you give it and it will manage it for you. And it has built into it routines that will let you know if there's problems anywhere on those disks. Um, it was also designed to address hardware RAID issues. So hardware RAID isn't perfect. And one of the things with hardware RAID is you have something called a write hole. And with ZFS, you don't get that. So if you read the, even the Wikipedia article on RAID, it will describe the write hole and how that's a problem. One of the things you can do with ZFS is something called infinite snapshots. 
So if you wanted to, you could take a snapshot every minute and you have a point in time backup of the system at that point in time. The nice thing about snapshots, it's one of the difference between UFS and ZFS snapshots, is the only space the snapshot takes up is what has changed since the last snapshot. So you can actually have millions of snapshots not taking up very much space. And with FreeNAS, because you can automate replication, once you have your snapshot schedule, you can send them to another system. So if you ever have to restore data, um, it's very easy to get to. Snapshots themselves are read-only, but you can create something that's called a clone, where you basically have a read-write version of the file system at that point in time. So that's a one way you can do a restore. And you can roll back to any snapshot. ZFS, they recommend that you don't use hardware RAID with it because ZFS likes to control the disks itself. And it has something known as RAID Zs, which are various types of RAID, similar to different types of hardware RAID. So for example, a RAID Z1 is basically the equivalent to a RAID 5, a hardware RAID 5. And with RAID Z1, you can lose one disk and you don't lose any data. RAID Z2, you can lose two disks, and it doesn't matter where those disks are. So there's not limitations on what controller uh, those two disks are. RAID Z3, you can lose up to three disks. One of the things you have to remember when you're setting up RAID Z, and in our documentation, we have links um, to um, the, the ZFS best recommended practices to tell you how to best feed it your disks. You have to be careful how many disks you put in what's known as a VDEV, um, because if you end up losing a disk, you have to do something called resilvering. And resilvering is fairly CPU intensive and it does take time. So if you had something like 40 disks, you wouldn't make a VDEV of 40 disks, because if you had to resilver that, it would take forever. Instead, you would do like five disks and you'd make a bunch of VDEVs and strike them together. So it's much easier on resilvering. Uh, when it comes to ZFS, it has versions, and the versions change as features are added. So version 15 was uh, the what's right now in FreeNAS 8, so in the 8.0 series, as well as the 8.2. Sorry. Uh, Almost as soon as 8.2 is out, 8.3 will be close behind it because we're waiting for FreeBSD to release 8.3, and they're currently in their release candidate stage. One of the big advantages that will come with 8.3 is we get a bump up in the ZFS version. We go up to 28. And the two big things that come in version 28 that are missing in 15 is RAID Z3, so you can lose up to three disks. It's also something called deduplication which is very useful in some environments and a waste of CPU in others. So if you, for example, are storing a lot of virtual images, you have a lot of duplicate data. Deduplication in the file system will consolidate that and get rid of the duplications. If you don't have a lot of duplicate data, you're wasting CPU doing deduplication. Version 30 is the interesting one. That's the one that has encryption. 
and that's the one that Oracle has not open sourced, and it's the one that nobody's holding their breath for Oracle to open source. So in FreeBSD, because encryption is a big deal, um, they're probably going to end up writing their own way of doing encryption rather than waiting for Oracle. Right now, they're writing something called ZFSD, which is a ZFS daemon. ZFS um, outside of um, the Solaris commercial version was really lousy at monitoring. So it was really lousy at telling you when a disk was going bad. It wouldn't alert you of that. You'd sort of figure it out over time. So what they're doing is they're building a daemon that will let you know as soon as the file system knows. And they'll probably put encryption into that. But that's still in the design phase. Okay, so what's new in 8.2? 8.2 is the one that's currently in beta, it's due out in a couple of weeks. Uh, the big thing that everybody's been waiting for is to plug in architecture. So right now with FreeNAS, you can set up your sharing, your disks, you're good to go. If you want to do something like multimedia, um, so transmission, uh, plug-in XMBC, any of those things, uh, a lot of people are doing really funky things. They want to have a print server on it. They want to have an open VPN server on it. Um, right now, you can't do that unless you're really good at FreeBSD, want to drop down the command line and do it um, from scratch. The plugin architecture is pretty cool. It's 8.2 will be the first time it's out, so we're certainly going to find out every bug. Uh, that's in the design that will get sorted over time. So what happens is we use something called the PBI format. So if you're familiar with um, FreeBSD, they have something called ports and packages that allows you to compile them yourself or to have a pre-compiled binary all from the command line. The desktop version of FreeBSD is called PCBSD, and what it did was it created a wrapper program that took those command line installation routines and put it into a GUI, allowing you to use a GUI to install and uninstall things. FreeNAS has taken that PBI format and they've taken it one step further to integrate it into the web browser configuration utility. So basically there's an XML form that when you create the PBI, um, creates all the fields for the configuration for that. And we're starting to get documentation on how to make those. So basically, you download a PBI, you go into FreeNAS under plugins, you tell it where the download of PBI is, it installs it, and right in the GUI, it adds a configuration screen for that. And I'll, I have a picture of that screen. Uh, the documentation we're working on actively. Um, so it will improve in time for release. Uh, so it's showing you how to um, install, make your own plugins. And right now, built into 8.2, uh, there is DLNA, DAAP, and torrent support. And those you'll be able to do from the GUI. The other thing that 8.2 added, which is more for high-end environments, if you have hardware that's capable of multipath, it automatically sees it, and it will show you um, that hardware. Okay, so there's a picture. Those screens are going to change um, because we're trying to figure out where's the best place to put this in the GUI. Um, so right now, um, this one has installed Firefly. So you'll see down at the bottom it says Firefly. 
In this screen, I've clicked on edit, and it's basically giving me a GUI front end to mt-dappd.conf. So anything that's available in that config file is now available as either a drop down or a type in in the FreeNAS GUI. Once you go and configure it the way you want, you click on start, it starts, you type in the IP address where you, of your FreeNAS system and you get your Firefly web admin interface, just as if you'd installed Firefly. So that's how the plugin system is gonna work. Okay, so those are the features. We'll do a quick uh, bit on the configuration workflow. So this is mostly for the benefit, especially people coming from seven, like where do I go to get things set up? Basically, these are the six steps you wanna do. So the first time you access the web browser, it's just gonna let you in. So you obviously wanna set an administrative username and password. You're then gonna go in and let FreeNAS know about your disk. So you're gonna set it up um, how you want your volume set up. You then need to deal with permissions. So how are you gonna get your users and groups in there? Are you gonna be importing them from Active Directory or LDAP? Or are you gonna make them manually? You'll then decide upon what type of share to make and configure it. You'll start the service associated with that share. And then you test the configuration, make sure everything's working the way you want. So setting the administrative uh, credentials. So there is on the, in the left, there's an account, the admin account. You just go in and change the administrative user. I'm gonna give it, don't keep the default of admin, give it a, a name. And then you can also change the password at the same time. So that's step one. Step two, you're gonna have to figure out how to create your volumes. So you have a couple of choices. If you already have UFS rate or ZFS pool, just import it in, it'll see it and uh, recognize it. If you have one disk already formatted with one of those file systems, you just import that in. Otherwise, you go and create a UFS or ZFS volume. And the next screen will show you that. Um, Yep, that one. So on this particular system, it has four disks. It's gonna create a uh, volume called data. The stuff that you see at the bottom um, will change depending upon how many disks you have available. So obviously, if you only have two disks, you can only set up a mirror or a stripe. As you add more disks, you can have different types of rate. If you're dealing with CFS, you can also dedicate disks to be um, um, for your log or for your cache. And the documentation explains when that is a good thing to do. One of the things we can do with ZFS is once you've created um, what's known as the pool, you've fed it all your disks, you can create things called data sets. And the advantage of a data set is it's basically like its own volume. So you can assign that data set to a user or to a group, so they'll have their own storage area. You can set quotas on data sets, you can set compression on them. So there's a couple of um, things you can do with those. Once your disks are set up, you're gonna have to decide uh, how you're gonna be dealing with your users and groups. So as I mentioned before, those are your three choices. And then you get into how am I gonna actually share data? So I now have disks, I wanna get data back and forth. And what we recommend is you 
pick one style of sharing and only configure one. Because the last thing you want to do is to have Windows users looking at Apple shares saying, what are these weird looking file names? I should delete those. Um, you don't want that happening. Um, and also, say if you're dealing with NFS that has no clue what users are, it only looks at network addresses, you're going to have a lot of confused users if you mix and match shares. So you pick one that works for the clients in your network. So if you're supporting a Mac um, network, um, go with an Apple Talk share. Uh, SIFS is actually good for any OS. Um, the problem is, is Samba is only, um, it's limited, it's, it's not multi-threaded, so you may find your CPU bogging down, it'll slow things down. NFS also works with any other type of client. The problem is, is in Windows, if it's not a Enterprise Edition, you don't have a built-in NFS client, though there are things that you can download. Typically, you, you pick one of those three. Depending upon the um, users in your network, so if you have people that are comfortable with SSH, just create an SSH one. Everything's encrypted. If you have people who like to go through a browser and look at an FTP site and get stuff, you can also set up FTP, SFTP. And if you need access to raw disk, you can use iSCSI. When you're configuring the share, only go for one type. The part that confuses people is when you're creating the share, you deal with permissions, but the permissions go on the volume or the data set. So that's one of the reasons why ZFS data sets are so nice if you need to partition data. So if you're not just having anonymous access to your data, you want home directories, that sort of stuff. Data sets are wonderful. And permissions can be set on a per volume or a per data set basis. Once you've set those up, this is the uh, control panel for start and services. So everything is off by default. If you've configured, for example, uh, FTP, don't forget to turn it on or else nothing's going to be happening. If you're working with SIFs, you also have to turn on Active Directory. Uh, if you're working in an Active Directory environment, or LDAP. Uh, you'll want to test your configurations. You want to make sure people who are supposed to have access to the data actually do, and people who don't, don't. And we have a couple of things to make it easy when you're troubleshooting. So there is something called Enable Console Logging. It's uh, one of the checkboxes you can check. And as you're starting a service, it will tail var log messages. So if a service isn't starting for some reason, you can watch it go by and see what the problem is. One of the nice things now that we have web shells, just open up web shell, then you can go in, you can read all of our log messages, or you can read your Apache blog file or whatever. Um, it is an open source project. We are always interested in participation, and FreeNAS has always had a very active user community. One of the best things you can do is report bugs. So we do have a track bug reporting system. It's support.freenas.org. Um, it's always nice to work out bugs before something is released. So we always have a beta and a release candidate cycle where we do want to hear feedback from people if something is broken or doesn't look quite right. 
The documentation as it is now covers all of the possible configuration options, so what screen you go to, what it's going to look like when you get there, what you can type in. But it's not so much on the how-tos, how do I go in and set up my media server, for example. So we're always looking for real-world recipes on what a person can do with their FreeNAS system. There are forums in IRC, and there's always people looking for help there. And we always want to know um, how people are using their FreeNAS systems and what they like about it and what they'd like to see improved. So definitely let us know if you blog about it or write a review. A uh, bunch of resources. Uh, the last URL will be the URL to the slides, so you don't have to madly write things down. So obviously we have a, a website, there's forums, uh, the bug tracker. Uh, links to the user guide, so you can download every version. You can also see what's coming in the next version. There is an IRC channel, and there's also a bunch of um, links. We have instructional videos, um, there's mailing lists, and professional support is available if you need it. And I think the last link is uh, how to contact me and the URL to the slides. And we've got about 10 minutes for questions. Yes. How do you address backups? So the backups handle at the CFS level, or is it uh, copied off and do something with it? So the que the question is, how do you address backups? So built into it, if you're using ZFS, um, you can set up replication between systems. One of the requested PBIs that we have is for Bacula, so you can set up your own backup system. So we expect a lot of the first PBIs will be backup solutions. Now. And it also depends upon the data. So, for example, shadow copies work uh, if you're in a Windows environment, and um, the time machine works if you're in a Mac OS environment. There's a question over here. Yep. Um, at the command shell, is, is it a full FreeBSD free environment down there? Uh, two answers to that. So in the shell itself, um, it is NanoBSD, which is a stripped-down environment. Now, the shell is pretty good. Um, it defaults in a bash. You can also do TCSH. So you're going to have things like history, um, t uh, command line completion. Um, because it's an embedded version, there's no man pages, but all of the man pages are online. And when you're reading through the documentation, they're all hyperlinked. It brings you right to the man page. When we are dealing with the plugins, part of the plugin architecture is because FreeNAS itself fits on a 2 gig USB stick. You're not installing a lot of software there. So instead, when you create a plugin, you're creating something called a plugin jail, which is a FreeBSD jail, which is basically another FreeBSD complete operating system accessible through FreeNAS, and that's actually where you're installing software. And once you, from WebShell, you can access that jail and you have a full FreeBSD system. So MAM pages, you can do the ports thing if you want. Uh, if you're used to using FreeBSD, you can do anything you usually do. Yep. So when you set up your plugins jail, it will ask you which volume you want to put it on. So right on one of the volumes. Correct. 
At this time, it only supports CFS, and we recommend that you create a data set specifically for the jail. That way it's separate from the rest of your storage. Yes? So what are the do you want to run ZFS? So ZFS does something called pre-caching, and that speeds things up. And ZFS needs 4 gigs of usable RAM to pre-cache. So if you have 4 gigs installed, you don't have 4 gigs of usable RAM, because you still have your OS, you got applications, that sort of stuff. And be, which means you're basically installing at least 8 gigs. And depending upon your needs, that may still be slow. And it really depends what you're using the FreeNAS system for. So we have lots of users that are just using it at home. They just want to serve their movies or whatever to the family. And they can tune ZFS to do it in a gig or so of RAM. And they're not worried about squeezing performance out of it. Now, if you're using that little RAM, don't do a scrub and don't do deduplication because <laughs> you will actually, you'll panic the box. There's just not enough RAM to do it. Now, if you're looking at setting up a small network, say for a small office, it really depends upon how heavily that storage box is being used and how you're sharing. So for example, and we have a lot of people running it, say an ESXi, and that in itself has some RAM requirements. And what we'll usually tell people, if you really need to squeeze a lot of performance out of your RAM, you probably should either be using iSCSI or using NFS. So a lot of people will just change their share type and they'll see a performance boost. Now ZFS, because of the SysCTL system, there's literally <coughs> probably 60 uh, ZFS SysCTLs that you can use to perform your system, but typically it's cheaper and easier to add more RAM. Okay, uh, one more? Uh, you mean the GUI? It seems like what you have is something that's Yep. Now it runs fine in a virtual environment, so you can certainly install it that way. Yeah. Okay, thanks everyone. You have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by a HPR listener like yourself. If you ever considered recording a podcast, then visit our website to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club. HBR is funded by the Binary Revolution at binrev.com. All Binrev projects are proudly sponsored by Lunar Pages. From shared hosting to custom private clouds, go to lunarpages.com for all your hosting needs. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Share Alike, 3.0 license.